Good morning, friends. Good morning. Hey, if I happen to look at my watch today, it's not because I'm planning to jet out, but right now that clock says 9 o'clock. So I'll either watch my watch or we'll be here two hours, so buckle up. And, uh, <laughs> and some of you have raised in churches where that was normal, two hours. Let's do it. One of my favorite locations in the U.S. is uh, in a place where our history and our future meet. Um, if you stand at the corner of Washington and State Streets in Boston, uh, you'll see that the old state house there is set against a backdrop of a skyscraper that sits about 40 stories tall. I think we should have a picture of that up here to take a look. Um, that will come up. If you, if you look at the old state house, you'll see that from the balcony of the old state house, the words of the Declaration of Independence uh, were proclaimed and heard for the first time by the community members in Boston in 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. The old state house was, in essence, the location of a birth announcement. A nation had been born. And if you look at the skyscraper that exists behind it, as I said, over 40 stories tall, the skyscraper that's behind it is, in the, is, the, is an anchor in the heart of the financial district of Boston. And I love this spot because I, when I was walking by there one time, I just kind of caught a glimpse of it. And all I could think of was, this is where our history and our future meet. Right there at that little intersection. I just love the old, the history, the, the, the old state house. What did that mean for our nation? In fact, my sister didn't know I was going to be speaking on this this week. And on Monday, my sister and her family were in Boston because they, they lived there. They went to the old state house. And every year they, they declare, they, they read the Declaration of Independence as part of the celebration of July 4th. And, and I just remember thinking, again, this is the intersection where history and the future meet. And I was pondering this image late last Last year when I was writing something up for our annual ministry statement. Our, our, the ministry I work with turned 70 this year, and I just was thinking about our history and our future. So it was on my mind as we rolled into the beginning of the year, which is when my birthday is. My birthday's in January, just letting you know that now to prepare. Um, <laughs> right around my birthday, I just had this image in my mind. And I remember thinking at the time, I feel like I'm at the, at the intersection of my history and my future. And I started asking myself, um, what, what is it about my foundation? What is it about what's familiar? What is it about my history? And where do I stand in this intersection of my future? And I don't know if maybe, maybe you're not as, um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I tend to get a little bit like thoughtful around my birthday. I mean, some people just like party. I'm just like, what does my life mean? And you know, and uh, and I know that different times in our lives we have maybe more of those things. Big birthdays, a lot of times we'll we'll do something like that. But I I just started asking the question, what is foundational and familiar in my life? What is my future? What does my future look like? What, what, what is God asking of me for this next season of my life? And not just about what I do, but who I become. How will I be formed in Christ during this next season of my life? And, and I remember things like when Paul's telling the Galatians, I labor until Christ is formed in you. And he, and he said to the Ephesians, I love the way this says it, and I think it's New Living Translation, Christ will make his home in your hearts because you trust in him. And I thought, man, I want, I want Jesus to feel at home in my heart. I want my heart to be an, an hospitable environment for the Lord to feel at home. 
And I, I realize as I say that, I'm cognizant of the fact right now, let me just, I feel like I need to put a disclaimer. I'm cognizant of the fact I'm using a lot of I and me kind of language. I'm not totally comfortable with that in, in a message like this because it's not really about me, it's not really about us. Uh, we are not the center of gravity in our relationship with, with Christ. Really, he is. He's the center of gravity. But I also do understand what uh, Augustine said when he said, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. I think Calvin said it uh, similarly. He said, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self are connected. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. And I remember thinking, and, and all this was resonating around my birthday earlier this year, I want to know myself well enough to know why I might fear, resist, or busy myself so much that I could potentially run past the work of God in my life. So really, these questions were not about me. <laughs> but how I can grow in my knowledge of myself so I can give more of myself to Christ. And friends, I see these moments as intersections, as um, these intersections or these moments, I see them as really meaningful in our lives. And, and here's the deal, sometimes they're extremely notable. Uh, some of you may have had children graduate from uh, some level of school this year. Um, some of you may have graduated this year. Uh, children have been born, uh, kids sending off to college, life, death, all the real big things of our lives. But sometimes these intersections are also really unseen moments. Sometimes they're sweet, sometimes they taste so bitter. This past year, my family has grieved the loss of my beloved stepdad. It was a year ago yesterday that he passed. And so there's been, we've, we've walked through a sense of grief in our family, and those things are typically unseen. But those things are intersections of our lives, of our, of our history and our future. And I, I remember um, when I was thinking about this, a familiar question came to my mind as I was considering this intersection of my life. And the question came to me was, what is God's invitation to you right now in your life? Now, this, this question had come from um, a, a, a spiritual mentor that I had met with about 10 years ago. I walked through a process that was about nine or 10 months of a, kind of a, what they call a prayer retreat. It's the Ignatian spiritual exercises. And, and every week, uh, every day, I would read through and pray through scriptures that I had been kind of assigned to do for this almost year process. I would read through the scriptures, pray through the scriptures, and once a week I would meet with somebody who was called a spiritual director or a spiritual mentor, and she would help me kind of process what God's doing in my life. It was a way for me to communicate and, and just have somebody who would bear witness to what God was doing. And in this time I was going through this nine or ten month process, it was, man, God was doing so many amazing things in my life, and I was journaling and journaling and journaling. I'm just writing pages and pages of what God was doing. At the same time, I was walking through what was really a painful, broken friendship with a couple people that I worked with. Now, I, it, was, it was this crazy time where, in fact, the, the lady, the, the, my mentor said, you have these two really profound, almost forces going on in your life. You're having this incredible experience in your relationship with God. At the same time, you're really dealing with a troubling, broken friendship. I don't know if you've ever been through something like that. We, we, sometimes we tend to talk about the highs and lows, the peaks and valleys of lives. Sometimes, I heard Rick Warren say once, it's not so much a peak and a valley. He said, I found that it's two tracks in our lives. Sometimes you have a track that something's going really well and a track something, something is not necessarily going well. He said, at the same time that I, I released my book that just exploded, my wife was going through breast cancer. He said, it wasn't a peak and a valley, it was two tracks. And that's really how I felt at that time. 
is I had this incredible experience meeting with God day after day, exploring the scriptures in a whole new way, at the same time a really troubled friendship. And my spiritual mentor said to me, she would, a lot of times she would come back and she said, you know, you have these two things. She said, what is God's invitation to you in all this? And I love the question of an invitation. I love a good invitation. I really do. I love a good invitation. I was telling um, Nanette and, and uh, Claire over there, uh, invitations can have a lot to them. Invitation could be an invitation to dinner, and you can say yay or nay, and, you know, if you, you want to go. I have an invitation a lot of times from my neighbors across the street, Big John and Mary, and uh, Big John loves to tell me about what he did when he was, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the service, and not every story is necessarily appropriate, and, and you know, but he, he's always got a story to tell. They have invited me over for dinner many times. They also have invited me over, if there's a tornado, they have invited me to their storm shelter. <laughs> Two very different kind of invitations. One, it's kind of like, yay or nay, you know, just take it or leave it at your pleasure. The other is take it or leave it as your, at your peril, right? Two different kinds of invitations. So I would submit to you, friends, <clears throat> that these intersections, uh, like was imaged there, these spaces where our history and our future meet, point us to the place where God's invitation meets our surrender. These intersections point us to the place where God, God's invitation meets our surrender. And I think probably many of us, most of us, each of us, has walked into our time here today uh, with these intersections uh, present. Um, again, sometimes they're really, really sweet. Sometimes they're really challenging. They may be sweet, like I feel like something's happening in my life. I don't know what it is, but I feel like God is inviting me into something really sweet. It could be, hey, it's, it's bittersweet because we're getting ready to launch our first child away to college. And so there's the celebration, but there's also the sadness. Uh, I, I do remember um, a couple of my friends. I, I don't know if you've ever felt like this. I remember a couple of my friends, when they hit around 40, started asking the question, is this really all there is in, in life? Is this, you know, is this it? Is this what I thought it would be? Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I was young, we were singing the History Maker song. Anybody remember the old band Delirious? Am I alone in this? Okay, some, all right, so, hey, I knew that, I knew, Chi Alpha people, I knew that, but I remember we used to sing that, I want to be a history maker in this land, right, I, you know, we're, I want to be a history maker, and then now I'm like, I'm just trying to remember to pay my bills, you know, and, you know, I mean, you go from I'm going to be a history maker to just life, and I remember a couple of my friends being in that place, both hitting around 40, both married, both with kids, both asking that question, is this, I, I just didn't expect my life to look like this, is this all there is? One went back to school and one ended her marriage. They were both at an intersection. Sometimes we find ourselves at an intersection where we're in a time of stress and we realize, I'm not really who I thought I was in a time of stress. Sometimes again, we feel a stirring towards something. Sometimes we face challenges. I um, mentioned to you uh, a moment ago about when I was in that season of meeting with that spiritual mentor and having that kind of a troubled friendship with, with a couple that I worked with. I don't know if you've been through something like this, but I honestly, I prayed all the prayers I knew how to pray to forgive all the 
all the things I could think of forgiving, you know, and I still felt really wrapped up around the axle with it. Uh, is that okay if I'm, if I'm honest about this in here? Like, like, I know you're supposed to, like, do, you know, I, I remember I was like, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, and I would just get wrapped around, I'd start ruminating in my head, and, and there, it was months, maybe a year or so, of just feeling like I just can't seem to get past this thing. So I remember the time, I didn't know what else to do. I remember at that time thinking, I've got to do something different. What I'm doing is not working. I'm doing my very best trying to pray prayers of forgiveness, pray prayers of repentance, all the things. And I thought, I just need to get away for about 24 hours and really wrestle this thing down. So I, I went in, I grabbed a book that someone had recommended about offense and you know, what happens when we get offended and everything. And I went away for a 24-hour prayer retreat. And I just said, God, I really, I, I, I got to be in maybe a different space to kind of think different thoughts. Maybe will help me. And I started reading this book. And um, in the book, the, the author starts to talk about uh, Joseph in the Bible in, in, in Genesis when, you know, Joseph's brothers, you know, they, they're, they're jealous of him. They take him captive. They see all the things, all the things that happen in Joseph's life to the point where he ends up being in prison and, and, and everything. And I, I don't know, I, I, maybe just com in comparison to my issue, you know, I thought, well, there's some perspective there. No one's thrown me in prison. No one's thrown me in a pit. But, but, but it still feels like I'm kind of trapped in this thing. I'm reading through this book, and the author writes something to the effect of, you got to remember who Joseph's brothers were. They, they were the ones who were meant to be the patriarchs of Israel. They were the ones who were meant to be the leaders of Israel. Had Joseph exacted revenge, they would have never been able to be who they were meant to be in God's kingdom. And for some reason, that did it for me. I remember thinking about this, these friends that I had had that I was really kind of wrestling with and thinking, it's not really so much about me. Yes, I want to walk with, with love in my heart and not bitterness. Yes, I want to walk with forg forgiveness in my heart and not bitterness. But I also want them to be everything God made them to be. And friends, I don't know why, it was that, why, why that was the point, but that felt like an intersection to me. It wasn't about me at that point. I wanted them to be everything. And I knew God had done something in my heart because I wanted them to be everything God had made them to be. I wanted them to fulfill what God had. Not that I would have to be in the way in a practical way, but I just knew in that same thing with uh, Joseph's brothers, had he exacted revenge, it might have caused them to miss what God had in some way. I was like, I just don't want to do that. And I felt like at that moment, God's invitation met my point of surrender, and something shifted. After that, it was different. I don't know what it was. After that, it was different. I found myself at that place, and something dislodged, for, I, for which I'll be incredibly grateful the rest of my life. There are so many examples in Scripture, too many really, to explore them all. Um, we'd have to read, I think, Genesis to Revelation to capture them all. But I want to look at an example of an intersection in Jesus' life. Matt read it out of Luke chapter 2. We're going to go back and read a few of the verses that he read there, starting in verse 46. And I apologize, I'm not sure what... Um, translation, so I'm just going to read the translation I have here. It may not be exactly one up there, but it says, after three days, they, meaning Jesus's parents, found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him, all who heard Jesus, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. 
And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The people were amazed at his understanding and his answers. I have to be totally honest with you. I would love that. I mean, I would love to be sitting there and have people, but that is amazing. I mean, isn't that almost a little bit tempting? You know what I'm saying? Here he is at this point, at this intersection of his life, and the people are amazed at his understanding. I think it says he's 12 years old. I've been around 12-year-olds. I don't usually go, I'm amazed at your understanding. (laughs) I've been 12. Nobody was amazed at my understanding. But here Jesus is at 12, and they are amazed at his understanding and his answers. He's standing at this intersection between, I must be in my father's house, or some translations say, I must be about my father's business, and I must obey my mother. And he's standing at this intersection, and I would submit, friends, that his surrender speaks of trust in something that is an example for us. Um, Here he is at this intersection. I must be in my father's house. I am surrounded by people who are amazed. But I will submit myself to what my parents have asked me to do in this moment. Now, I don't know how I would necessarily have gone at that point. I'm really thankful for the example of Jesus here. It's like he was saying, I'm going to trust my father for his timing. And in this case, I'm going to trust my parents for theirs. And I have to wonder if Jesus' future ministry would have looked the same had he, not, had he not taken that route on the intersection. Because here he is in this moment saying, hey, I'm going to be about my father's business, but you know what? I'm going to submit myself in this moment out of trust, and I'm going to go home because my parents have asked me to go home. Fast forward maybe 18 or so years, and uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is at a wedding with his mom and his friends. And you guys remember, a lot of you remember the story, they're out of wine. And mom says, they're out of wine. And Jesus said, it is not my time. And mom says, you know what, do whatever he says. And Jesus says, okay, once again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into this. In this moment of an intersection, I could be like, no, 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 it's not my time. Now, 18 years earlier, he could have been like, oh, it's my time. They're amazed. He said, it's not my time now. He goes in, he says, it's not my time. Mom says, oh, yes, it is. Okay, it's my time now. I wonder if there's maybe some connection there of understanding at those moments of that intersection of the invitation and the trust that Jesus could become and live out what God, what his father had had for him. Fast forward a couple more years and Jesus is in a garden. He's gone from a wedding to a garden. Garden of Gethsemane that is so familiar to us. He's at this intersection. Will I surrender my will for my father's will? He's already been there a couple times. He's been there many times, but in this, you know, for today, he's been there a couple times. Once again, he's at this intersection. Scripture tells us one, one, one gospel says that he knelt down. One gospel says that he fell to the ground. And another gospel says he fell his face to the ground. Regardless of how he fell to the ground, we can tell that the weight of all of this is on Jesus. There's evidence of extreme stress. Again, question we asked ourselves earlier, how do I respond when I'm in extreme stress? As he stands at this intersection, Jesus once again surrenders his will. Regardless of the cost to say yes to the invitation, 
Jesus once again surrenders and, and says yes to the Father's invitation. God, I will meet your invitation with my surrender and my trust. I will meet your invitation with my trust. I am convinced, friends, that Jesus knows what it means for us to stand at those places. I'm convinced that he knows what it means for us to stand at those intersections of our own lives, those intersections of invitation and surrender. And the question for us is, what do we become like in those moments? I, I hope and I trust that as we, as we talk today, you'll have, just have those kind of those little moments come past your mind. Uh, those little moments of, man, there's an extreme stress. What is God's invitation for me in that? We're facing a challenge in our family. What is God's invitation for us as a family? I'm grieving. How, what is God's invitation in my grief? He does know what it's like. He does know what it's like. A lot of us are familiar with a, a pastor named Tim Keller. Uh, Tim recently passed away, I think in May. Uh, he was really prolific author. He had pastored in New York City and uh, established a church, I want to say, about in eight sites around Manhattan, uh, about 6,000 people, if I, if I read correctly, and just book after book after book. Um, a couple of years ago, about three years ago, Keller was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, again, I think probably a lot of people in here have heard his story and have heard that he was recently passed, but in May of 2020, he was diagnosed stage four pancreatic cancer. That was just a devastating diagnosis. And I thought it was interesting because earlier this year, again, around that same time I was thinking about all this, I noticed that he had released a book called Forgive. Uh, I think it was November of, of this past year, November of 22, uh, two and a half years after his diagnosis, Keller released a book called Forgive. And it intrigued me because I thought, I thought, man, what would, it, what would it mean when you know you're at the intersection of life and death? If you know you're at that intersection, what would you write about? And I really thought it was notable that at the intersection of life and death that he would write about forgiveness. Because I, I remember thinking, man, what does he see from his vantage point? What does Keller see at this intersection of life and death that would make him think, if I'm going to write about anything, it's going to be about forgiveness? I just was fascinated by that. And I remember just reading up a little bit about it, just trying to find out what he was thinking about. And I, I read this one thing, and it's not specifically about forgiveness, but it caught me as I was, as I was looking it up. In January, he was interviewed uh, by a, a Christian uh, media source, and it, and it says that he shared how his prayer life had flourished amid his battle with cancer and how the Psalms had sustained him as he faced the reality of his death. Again, as he's at this intersection of his history and his future, of his life and his death, literally life and death. And, and Keller said this, it was so fascinating to me. He said, my wife and I would never want to go back to the kind of prayer life and spiritual life we had before the cancer, never. He said, he added that his cancer journey has made him genuinely experience Psalm 90:14, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all, all our days. Keller said, every so often, Kathy and I will say, guys, this is what, he said, every so often, Kathy and I will say, we're having a much better life now. Let that set in for a second, because that's not at all what I expected. That's not at all, and I don't see this lightly. I, I don't say this at all lightly. I was really captivated by what Keller said. 
He's faced with terminal cancer, and he says, we would never want to go back to the kind of prayer life we had before the cancer. Hear, me, hear, hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Keller said he was glad he got cancer. I just really feel like I have to have a disclaimer and things like that. I am saying that Keller said that his spiritual life, his prayer life, was far better. Okay, talk about an intersection. Talk about an invitation from the Father into a deep spiritual life. Oh, my goodness. You guys are all looking at me. got very heavy in here, didn't it? <laughs> You're looking at oh, she's talking about cancer now. Keller said, every so often, Kathy and I will say we're having a much better life now. Oh, my goodness. I can only, friends, I can only surmise that Keller responded to God's invitation and has offered his surrender, offered his surrender to Jesus day after day after day so that when he was ready to be ushered into the arms of Jesus, oh, my goodness, what a beautiful day for him that was. Every day he experienced the joy of Psalm 90, 14, till he woke up in it, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. That became real to him in his life. How much more real when he woke up with Jesus? Oh, my goodness. Friends, every one of us has a, an invitation from the Father. Daily invitations of trust and surrender uh, important, seasonal, uh, perhaps even life-altering, like Keller uh, invitations. Um, I think we each, if we do know ourselves to any degree, we know why we resist sometimes the invitations. Um, invitations could be, for me, as simple as traffic. <laughs> I mean, I'm, we're going from traffic to cancer and back to you know what I'm saying? Like, but for me, the invitation is, am I going to love the person next to me? I have this thing. Um, where I used to live, there, it was a two-lane highway, or one, one lane each way, and people would drive sometimes pretty slow, and I, I am many things, but I have, not been, I have not been affirmed in my patience. I'll just say that. My mom once told me that I'm impatient, and moms are supposed to see the best in you, but I do remember one time I was trying to, somebody was driving below the speed limit, and I'm, I'm like, God bless you if you don't want to speed. I affirm your choice in life, but do not drive below the speed limit, especially if it's a one-lane highway, and so I passed the guy, and as I, were, as I was getting ready to pass him, the Lord, the Lord knows that I don't look with love sometimes, and um, the, Lord, <laughs> the Lord was like, don't you look, and I, sometimes I'm really good. I just don't look. I don't look because the Lord knows I don't look with love. And one time I just had a weak moment. I looked and the Lord was like, you looked. And, um, and, and I just know, I, I just know that those things, I, I have an invitation to be loving or I could go the other way and, and be a little bit critical on that. So it could be the, the little moments in our lives, the traffic moments in our lives, where there is still an invitation where God wants to be formed in us. Whereas I'm driving by somebody who's driving five miles per hour below the speed limit, I have an invitation for Christ to be formed in my heart, <laughs> in love. In those larger areas of life, in the grief, in the challenging times, in the stress at work. In, I'm in a season like that. I'm asking the Lord, God, how can I see you in the midst of some of the stress right now? How can I see you in the midst of the stress? In those large moments, in the little moments, if we know ourselves to any degree, we may know why we resist the invitations. I know, friends, that when I recognize the invitations and his presence in them, I find myself surrendering more easily. You know, if I can just recognize that there's an invitation from the Father, I'm like, okay, you know what, I really do want God more than I want to be able to pass this guy. 
you know. I really do want God more than I want to just sit in the stress. I really do want God more than I want whatever, fill in the blank. I do know that he's present in these. He still is Emmanuel. We actually sang today about Emmanuel. I love that we don't just talk about Emmanuel at Christmas, you know. He is present with us every day. I do know that when I recognize him, the invitations... When I recognize the invitations in his presence, I do surrender. I trust him more wholeheartedly. And that is how he is formed, not because of our work, but because of his work in us. The table is an invitation. The table is an invitation to remember our Lord, to remember who he is and what he does and what he does in our lives, to remember that he invites us to and that he carries with it the promise of his presence. Friends, I want to encourage us today as we come forward to the table, before just sitting down and receiving, maybe pause and ask the Lord, God, what are you inviting me into right now? What's your invitation in this situation with our family, in this situation with work, in this situation with this thing I'm wrestling with personally? What is your invitation? And God, is there anything in there that would cause me to resist surrendering and trust? Is there anything in there that would cause me to hold back in this situation? Friends, as you accept his invitation to the table today, um, he is there. He is with us. Um, He is with us. So we're going to pause and listen again to his invitation. I'm going to invite you to the table now. The work of God continues long after... um, long after someone is done speaking here. In fact, it's so beautiful the way the, the Lord works in here in those moments. I know for me, uh, sometimes on a Sunday, I'm thinking I'm, I'm in my head is already on to the next thing. I, I just admit it because the humanity, you know, life and everything. I'm thinking, okay, what's ahead? i got to pick my room up, up at the airport. I don't want to miss this invitation. I don't want to miss the moment where I can sense God's presence inviting me into something. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to have two lines here down the center aisles. Someone will be here. Matt and I will be at the different tables um, pronouncing the blessing uh, for you as you receive from the Father, uh, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. um, As the worship team continues uh, our time in worship, and then we will end our time today. But could I encourage us to pause and listen for the invitation? Father, we do today. We thank you for the invitation to the table. We thank you for the reminder of what it means um, to join you at the table. We thank you for the strength uh, that we receive as we we receive (laughs) from you. We thank you for the grace that's on our lives. We thank you, Father, um, for the joy that comes with being yours. Today, I pray for all of us here, every one of us, Remind us of your presence. Remind us that when we, you invite us into something, uh, that intersection, that the safest place for us to be in that moment of trust and surrender is with you. And we love you, God. We thank you.